Good morning, Catholics. This is the D-O-L-W-3. We are a podcast, and our, our goal here is, in these podcasts, to, to educate, to educate the lay faithful on things they may not know about in the church. In my last podcast, podcast number 14, um, I'm still reading from the uh, Call of the Laity by O.V. Cruz, for any of you that have been following along. And it was brought to my attention that maybe I need to make a version two of number 14. And after listening to it, I thought so. Now, I want you to know that I am not a professional. I am learning, and it is our goal to let people know that we don't have to be perfect. We are not theologians. We have a conscience, and as lay faithful in the church, we have rights, duties, and obligations. And that's what started this whole thing, is that we realized that several people um, have been hurt by the church, uh, left the church, and those that stay are angry because of some thing they did or seen and were not able to voice properly. We are, our goal is, is to provide guides and ways to have your voice be heard and to create a more robust church in, in, um, in doing this. So with that being said, I was given the charge and you can say sort of under obedience, I am making podcast 14, I'm going to call it 14B. So with that, I want to explain some things. Uh, Ovi Cruz is, has wrote The Call of the Lady. And why did he write it? He wrote it because there's a need. We are not being taught these things, and he realized that, that we needed to understand what our rights were so that we would speak up. Okay, so the way he's broke this book down, and I think this is where I fell short with you guys, is that he's broke this book down in its contents. I'm going to the content page. So the first section we read from, the Code of the Canon Law. That's how he started it. He calls it Part 1. There was Article 1, which was Canon Law 203, and then there's a CIC after it. And then there's Article 2, Canon 208, CIC. And then there's Article 3, Canon Law 203. 25 CIC. Now, CIC is referring to um, the Code of Canon Law that was written in 1983. This is the one that O.V. Cruz, we believe, is uh, referring to. There is an earlier version, which was written in 1917. So with our, with our, for our purposes, we are um, using the Canon Law 1983 version. And um, Ov Cruz, so that so he you know he writes about these these three laws because they pertain to the Catholic faithful and um, and who we are as common priests in the church. Okay, so now with that we're on part two in our reading right now. We are on part two. We've read um, there's there's it's part two and it's called the instruction. And in his section on the instruction, he again has Articles 1, 2, and 3. Article 1 is the priesthood of Christ, which we have read. Article 2 is the unity and diversity, which we have read. And Article 3 is the collaboration. So I want to talk about where we're at, and I want to talk a little bit about what an instruction is. Because I really, truly knew they were important, but I didn't really know what they meant. And I think that's been um, a good reason for to, to go over this in 14b. 
Instruction, um, what it is, it's an, it's, it, it is for our purposes, it is an authoritative instruction of the church that cannot be ignored by the bishops, clergy, and staff. And I shouldn't just say it's for our purposes. The instruction is very important. It's a type of legislation in the church, and it cannot be ignored by bishops, clergy, and staff. Um, Ovi Cruz, um, on page 66 in his books, he explains the instruction a little bit better um, on what instruction. So there is more than one instruction, and it depends on what, you know, what is going wrong in the church, and that needs to be corrected. So there will be instructions that complement uh, that complemented the code of canon law um, or needed to be expounded on. So um, this instruction here that he is using is called on certain questions regarding non-ordained the lay faithful in the sacred ministry ministry of the priests. Now I went ahead and went online and um, I downloaded that. You, I did, I did go to um, to the Vatican and I was able to find it and download it to see and to. Um, just to kind of refer myself to what what all he was talking about. So the most important thing that you need to know is that when there is an instruction, it is um, it is a lengthy process and it is very important. And again, um, it has to be um, acknowledged and not ignored by bishops, clergy, and staff. Okay, I wanted to read to you just a little bit on page sixty six on this instruction. Okay, and why there is a why there is an instruction when the Holy See sees issues and instruction. There are three primary intentions behind it. First, there is something wrong, doubtful or questionable happening in a good portion of the universal church that needs to be rectified, clarified, and defined. Second, the Vatican Council document thus issued officially and definitively puts forward what should be done as well as what should be avoided regarding the concrete matter under consideration. And third, the universal church through the regional and or national competent hierarchy is thus formally enjoined and accordingly accepted, expected to follow the instruction. This title given to a particular document issued by the Holy See in a precise and candid manner presents the issue and acts the resolution thereof and ordains the latter's due observance. I want to also tell you that this this particular document was um, written on August 15, 1997, and it was on the solemnity of the Annunciation of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Okay, with that, we are going to begin our reading. Now, this is what I read in 14. I'm going to go over it again in um, this 14b. And remember that we are reading um, from the instruction and um, on the collaboration of, uh, on the, excuse me, on the collaboration regarding non-ordained uh, lay faithful in the sacred ministry of the priests. Okay, so on page 102, we begin. The rights and duties of the Christian faithful. When the document speaks of the rights and duties of the Christian faithful, it is making reference more specifically to the provisions of the Code of Canon Law, as expressed in Canons 208 and 223, CIC. Among other things, it would be good to observe 
that the said code carries instead the following title, The Obligation and Rights of All the Christian Faithful. So again, I want to just refresh your memory that when it says Canon Law 208-223-CIC, we are referring to the Code of Canon Law of 1983. In addition to the fact that the Code then makes reference to the laity, the religious and the clergy as composite whole of Christian faithful, it nevertheless legislated first on their obligations and only thereafter about their rights. The document, however, has adopted the standard way of expressing substantially the same reality, although it speaks first of rights and thereafter of the duties of the laity. Without delving into the intricacy of the difference between the approach of the document and the Code of Canon Law, as well as the distinction between duties and obligations, at this juncture it would suffice to say the following practical note. While people of today are very conscious of their rights, they seem to conveniently ignore their obligations and duties. That is why there are innumerable quasi-organizations, movements, and pursuant rallies in promotion of rights, but almost nothing is said about obligations and duties. The Code of Canon Law might simply want to forward and emphasize the importance of obligations without, however, really ignoring the significance of rights. The reason? One follows the other. Rights and Duties of the Lay Faithful Like the Code of the Canon Law, the document then speaks of the rights and duties of the lay faithful, in line also with the subsequent codal provisions on the obligations and rights of the lay members of Christ's faithful. Needless to say, the focus here is the nature and consequences of being a baptized lay person in the church, viz. what they are entitled to do, as well as what they are obliged to do in and for the church. So very important, I'm digressing, so very important for us lay faithful to realize that we have rights. And with that, with those rights, we have duties and obligations. You know, so we we bring a problem that we know to be wrong to the church. We have, first of all, we have a right to do that. But more importantly, we have a duty and we are obligated. In other words, the, sub, the subject concerned is categorically the laity in the church, viz. what are their rights and duties in accordance with their canonical lay status in the church. They acquire this status by their reception of the sacrament of baptism, according to church doctrine and law. Baptism confers upon the recipient a, stand, a status or standing as far as her mission and pursuant organizational structure is concerned. The said spiritual and juridical status definitely carries certain rights and duties therewith, just like any secular civil status. Among the moral, the more signal rights attributed to the lay faithful in the church is their acknowledged freedom in evangelizing secular affairs by making these more human, more reasonable, and fair. And among the more manifest duties of the laity is the mandate to strive so that the message of salvation can be known and may be accepted by the people the world over, considering that the lay faithful are also among all people and all over the world. All right, Part C, Capacity of Admissions to Functions. 
Now, I just want to clarify here again. So this is in the instruction, which I have looked at, and you can see these things in the instruction. So right now we're on C, which is the capability of admissions to the functions. All right, and back to Ovi Cruz. There is distinction between functions in and for the church that laypersons have. That those that the lay faithful can and may assume by right as a baptized person in the church, and those that they that they are considered doctrinally and canonically capable of having and thereby exercising by the expressed assignment, commission, delegation, or deputation by the competent church authority. In simple words, there are functions which belong to the members of the lay faithful that are already theirs by doctrine and law, and those which they may have when explicitly given them by those who by doctrine and law, too, have the competence to do so. As examples, to evangelize people is a role that is already theirs by being baptized persons in the church. To administer church temporalities is a task that can be theirs only when duty when duly authorized by the competent church authority concerned the thumb rule in making this question is the functions of ministries or offices that belong to the clergy categorically by virtue of their reception of the sacrament of holy orders are exclusively theirs if doctrine teaches and the law provides what ordained ministers do not really do on account of their sacred organization, but by, but, excuse me, I'm going to read that over again. What ordained ministers do not really do on account of their sacred organization, ordination may be then assumed by or given to the members of the laity. Part three, this is still on the instruction, everyone. So the correction of abuses. When the existence of abuses or improper practices have been established by, pap- by pastors, will promptly employ those means considered necessary to prevent their dissemination and to ensure that the ordered or the, the correct understanding of the nature of the church is not impaired. In particular, there will, they will apply the provided disciplinary norms to promote knowledge of and assiduous respect for ecclesial communion. Where abusive practices have become widespread, it is absolutely necessary for those who exercise authority to intervene responsibly so as to promote communion, which can only be done by adherence to the truth, communion, and truth, which, excuse me, I'm going to read that over. Where abusive practices have become widespread, it is absolutely necessary for those who exercise authority to intervene responsibly so as to promote communion, which can only be done by adherence to the truth. Communion, truth, justice, peace, and charity are all interdependent realities. Part A, abuses or improper practices. The document makes mention of abuses or improper practices in general. For example, without the least giving concrete examples thereof, because each would not be needed. In principle, such misdeeds or malpractices can and do happen when the functions of the clergy are illegitimately exercised by the laity and vice versa. When this happens, the victim thereof is not only the, tr- not only the truth about the, canoni- the canonical ecclesial distinction between the laity and the clergy, but also the imperative of order and discipline in the ecclesial community.
B. Correcting authority. As there is a hierarchy in the church, a foremost ministerial obligation of which is ecclesial governance, there is also a ranking among the church authorities who have the burden of correcting the above set abuses or improper practices when and where extinct. That is to say, depending on the extent of such misdeeds or malpractices, the church authority with the burden of correcting them is the one immediately concerned in the place where the violations of the church doctrine and law exist. The parish priest for the parish, the archbishop for the archdiocese, the National Episcopal Conference for the country, the Supreme Pontiff for the Universal Church. Very important, um, you know, that those are the things, um, those are the, the hierarchy that uh, that is in place, and it's in place for a good reason. And I want to digress here because, so, so on the parish level, you know, if you um, have a disagreement with your priest and you have tried talking with him and you know that something is against the church um, teachings, you know it is, you try to bring that to his attention and he ignores you, punishes you, um, maybe silences you in some ways, maybe even, um, you know, ask you to leave the parish. Um, and in those cases, you can, you have rights. And, and that's what these podcasts are about. They're about you having a voice, a voice for the voiceless. It seems to me that quite often what we see is that when there is that kind of problem, the voice is silenced. It is ignored and um, punished in some sort of way. So we're going to go on to part C. Just remember that you have a voice. There are ways um, and, and, and there are ladders in the hierarchical system. You know, you would then, I'm digressing again, you would then go from, you know, your disagreement with the priest, which you try to, to do, and then you write to your bishop, you maybe go see your bishop. Those are your options that you would do next in line of the hierarchical order. Okay, with that, we go on down to the promotion of communion. Unity, community, and communion. These are the progressive essential features of the church. With her unity, the church is one in faith and morals throughout the world. In her community, the Christian faithful have their sense of belonging, affiliation, and solidarity as one composite people of God. Through her communion, which is the culmination of her unity and community, there is intimate Christian relational harmony, love, and peace. The standard enemy of communion and so of unity and community consists in ecclesial disorder and in discipline. In discipline. These precisely take place when there are abuses and improper practices, particularly when some members of the Christian faithful do what they should not, or not do precisely what they should in the matter of functions, roles, and offices. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to conclude here because this is what I did in my last podcast. Now, this does not end this, this chapter, um, and we will pick up again um, in our next podcast, which will be podcast 15. From here, something I neglected to tell you in the very beginning, as I am a I am a student. I am learning here um, how to speak and how to use my voice. I didn't used to know how to use my voice. So it is with that, I hope that with this podcast, if you need to use your voice, if you want to start a podcast, if you feel so called to start a podcast to um, improve on our faith, 
to with your goal being holiness and to grow in holiness and to help others grow in holiness, um, we see far too often that, that Catholics leave the faith. Partially, we believe that they just simply don't understand the beauty of how deep and rich this faith is. And these things, these podcasts, hopefully will give you um, some insight onto um, so many things in the Catholic Church that we don't know and that we are part of and we are duty-bound and obligated along with having rights as the lay faithful. Okay, so like I said, I am a beginning voice and I'm learning as I go along as well. So I wanted to talk to you too. In my last podcast, I talked about that we were going to have another voice with us and the voice being that of the great St. Paul uh, St. John Paul II, um, the Christi Fidelis Leci, and that is um, that is known to all to all um, all beings, and it is very important. Just remember, Christi Fidelis Leci. It is a document, and um, it is uh, known to all that in 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 those who are in the know. It is new to me, so just remember this is a very important document, and I wanted to read to you. Some of this because it complements um, and is very important for the lay faithful, and that's pretty much what this document does. Is it 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 um, speaks to the lay faithful, you know, um, the vocation and the mission of the lay faithful in the church. Very important, um, not to be ignored by clergy at all. Um, in fact, um, I was told that. In um, the Carmelites, at least in the secular Carmelites, it is um, suggested reading that we read this um, as Carmelites to understand more that our mission um, to, you know, to make a more robust church. All right, so I just wanted to read you a little bit from John Paul II, the Christi Fidelis Leci. Often, too, it will be in parens afterwards, um, CL. So if you see that CL, it is referring to this document. Okay. You go into my vineyard too. And he took this from um, Matthew thirteen thirty eight. So I'm going to read the introduction, the very beginning part. The lay members of the Christian faithful, Christian Christi Fidelius Leci, so he explains right there what we mean, okay? The lay members of the Christian faithful people, Christi Fidelis Leci, whose vocation and mission in the church and in the world 20 years after the Second Vatican Council was the topic of the 1987 Synod of Bishops, are those who form that part of the people which might be likened to the laborers in the vineyard mentioned in Matthew's Gospel. For the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. That's Matthew 20, 1 1 and 2. The gospel parable sets before our eyes the Lord's vast vineyard and the multitude of persons, both women and men, who are called and sent forth by him to labor in it. The vineyard is the whole world. That is from Matthew 13:38, which is to be transferred according to the plan of God in view of the final coming of the kingdom of God. 
So I want to digress here. So um, now we're going to go. So that was the introduction. That was the beginning of this Christi, Christi Fidelis Leci. And um, I didn't read that in my last podcast, and I think that it was very important to turn to that today. So now part two here is is dissecting. You go into my vineyard too. Okay, so we are called, right? This is what uh, St. Bon- John Paul II is telling us, is we are called to go into the vineyard. And we are the lay faithful. And, all right, part two. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and to them he said, you go into my vineyard too. That's Matthew 20, 3 and 4. From the distant day, the call of the Lord Jesus, you go into my vineyard too, never fails to resound in the course of history. It is addressed to every person who comes in our times, the church in our times, the church after Vatican II in a renewed outpouring of the spirit of Pentecost has come to a more lively awareness of her missionary nature and has listened again to the voice of the Lord. Who, spends her for, who sends her forth into the world as the universal sacrament of salvation. You go too. The call is a concern not only of pastors, clergy, and men and women religious. The call is addressed to everyone. Lay people as well are personally called by the Lord from whom they receive a mission on behalf of the church and the world. In preaching to the people of St. Gregory, the Great recalls, Excuse me. In preaching to the people, St. Gregory the Great recalls this fact and comments on the parable of laborers in the vineyard. Keep watch over your manner of life, dear people, and make sure that you are indeed the Lord's laborers. Each person should take into account what he does and consider it consider if he is laboring in the vineyard of the Lord. Very important. I'm digressing here. Very important. You know, it makes me think, you know, as, you know, think about where your vineyard is. Think about where God has placed you in this time. Who are your neighbors? You know, who is involved in your church? Um, who's in your store? Who who do you work with? That is your vineyard. That is where you are witnessing to Christ. All right, I'm going to go on here. The council, in particular, with its doctrinal, spiritual, and pastoral Patrimony, or patrimony, has written as never before on the nature, dignity, spirituality, mission, and responsibility of the lay faithful. And the council fathers, re-echoing the call of Christ, have summoned all the lay faithful, both men and women, to labor in the vineyard. The council then makes an earnest plea in the Lord's name that all lay people give a glad, generous, and prompt response to the impulse of the Holy Spirit and the voice of Christ, who is giving them an especially urgent invitation at this moment. Young people should feel that this call is directed to them in particular, and they should respond to it eagerly and magnanimously. The Lord himself renews his invitation to all the lay faithful to come closer to him every day and with the recognition that what is his is also their own. Philippians 2.5 They ought to associate themselves with him in his saving mission. And once again, he sends them into every town and place where he himself is to come. That's CF um, 
Luke 10, 1. And that's really what CF is telling us, for those of you who do not know. Um, CF is telling us, you know, we can confer with Luke 10, 1 for understanding. You go into my vineyard too. During the Synod of Bishops held in Rome, 130 October 1987. Okay, I don't know what that means. October 30th. 1987, these words were re-echoed in spirit once again, following the path marked out by the council and remaining open to the light of the experience of persons and communities from the whole church. The fathers enriched by preceding synods treated in a specific and extensive manner the topic of the vocation and mission of the lay faithful in the church and in the world. Okay, I'm going to digress here. So that that threw me. So these are things that can throw you in these documents. And it's just, it's, it's really not important. What is really important is that we know that this document, okay, is made, um, was um, first written on October 30th, 1987. So that, so that's the, uh, the important part is for us to know. And this document is very important. And I, I can't stress that enough. Kristen Fidelius Lecce. That's us. That's the lay folk. And that's um, who Pope John Paul is talking to, the Synod of Bishops. In this assembly of bishops, there was not lacking a qualified representation of the lay faithful, both women and men, which rendered a valuable contribution to the Synod proceedings. This was publicly acknowledged in the concluding homily. We give thanks that during the course of the Synod, we have not only rejoiced in the participation of the lay faithful, both men and women authors, but even more so in Christ. Whoops, nope, that's, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but I don't have part page three here. So just, just know, only because I was just going to read a short amount and I hope I'm not confusing you, but but like I said, the important thing is in this this uh, paragraph here, it is important to know that there were many lay faithful there in the synod um, using their voice. Why? Because it's very important. It's very important because we are part of the Christian faithful. So we we had a big say in this synod of how the lay faithful were going to continue. Okay, so with that being said, um, I'm going to skip over, if I've got time, yes, I do. I'm going to skip over to page five of this document, because there's an important part in here that I thought you should hear. It is necessary, then, to keep a watchful eye on this, our world, with its problems and values, its unrest and hopes, its defeats and triumphs. A world whose economic, social, political, and cultural affairs pose problems and grave difficulties in light of the description provided by the Council in the Pastoral Constitution, Gaudium et Spes 7. This, then, is the vineyard. This is the field in which the faithful are called to fulfill their mission. Jesus wants them, as he wants all his disciples to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. CF Matthew 5:13 and 14. But what is the actual state of affairs of the earth and the world for which Christians ought to be salt and light? The variety of situations and problems that exist in our world is indeed great and rapidly changing. For this reason, 
it is all the more necessary to guard against generalizations and unwarranted simplifications. It is possible, however, to highlight some trends that are emerging in present-day society. The gospel records that weeds and weeds and the good grain grew together in the farmer's field. The same is true in history, where in everyday life there often exists contradictions in the exercise of human freedom, where there is found side by side and at times closely intertwined evil and good, injustice and justice, anguish and hope. And boy, I'm digressing here. Um, And boy, don't we all experience that every day. We are human beings. And all around us, there's always things. And, you know, we, um, as the good grain, as good Christians, as the lay faithful, out in our communities, in our places of work, we can present Jesus by what we do, by how we act, by um, acts of good virtue. All those things exemplify Jesus in our society. All right, now I'm going to skip over to page 10. There was another section here that I thought you might like to hear. In giving a response to the question, who are the lay faithful, the council went beyond previous interpretations, which were predominantly negative. Instead, it opened itself to a decidedly decidedly positive vision and displayed a basic intention of asserting the full belonging of the lay faithful to the church and its mystery. At the same time, it insisted on the unique character of their vocation, which is in a special way to seek the kingdom of God by engaging in temporal affairs and ordering them to the plan of God. The term lay faithful we read in the Constitution on the church, Luminum Gentium, is here understood to mean all the faithful except those in holy orders and those who belong to a religious state sanctioned by the church. Through baptism, the lay faithful are made one body with Christ and are established among the people of God. They are in their own way made sharers in the priestly, prophetic, and kingly office of the church. They carry out their own part in the mission of the whole Christian people with respect to the church and the world. I'm going to end here, but I want to I want to give a couple of my own personal comments on this. And um, but it has been my experience in the church that this is not being taught. We are not being taught, or at least given classes, or you know, offered classes. Um, to to better understand what the lay faithful are have a right, have a duty, and are obligated to do in the church. We may have some vague idea, you know, and a lot of us work within the church, and that's a beautiful thing. But what about in society? What about um, using our voice uh, when we talk to a priest? Uh, you know, and we're pointing out something has been done wrong, and you're doing something wrong, that we have an obligation to point that out and to say that. And we should not be punished. The, the authority of a priest should not be used uh, and made us, make us go against our conscience. Um, in, in my experience, I don't think we should be removed from our jobs um, in the church. I think that's an abuse of power. Um, we have Pope Francis, if you read um, his things on um, cler- clericalism in the church. Our Pope is not happy with it. 
the abuse of authority by priests and clergy in the church, um, use, abusing their power. Um, and so what, what the whole point here is, everyone, is that these podcasts are intended to help you grow your voice, to help you grow in holiness, um, to, to speak up for our Lord, for our church, for the body of Christ that he died for, that he was crucified Jesus, in his time, had to speak up um, up to to the Pharisees and to tell the truth. And that's that's our call. He said we are to feed his children. And um, he told Peter, you know, feed my children. That is our obligation. To the best of our conscience, to as active members in society, you know, when they say temporal, that's what we are. We are temporal in the society. And that <clears throat> that is the world. There is no way a priest can do everything in the world. And um, the same goes for your church, you know. There are people who live on the peripheral who come to your church, and they should be able to use their voice and not be punished. So with that being said, I would like to say a prayer. I hope that I've cleared some of this stuff up. It's, it's, um, it's not difficult, really, to learn. Um, it, and and I, I do believe that... Um, Catholic churches in our parishes, these kind of things should be taught more. And um, this is an attempt to do that. This is an attempt to show you things. And maybe you begin to talk to your clergy about offering these kind of things to explain better of what the lay faithful um, are to do in the world. And with that being said, I want to say a prayer, um, the Hail Mary. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And always remember what the little flower said. Um, she, she really was for little souls. She she really did work in an ordinary way. She loved in a very ordinary, simplistic way. Um, and she understood Jesus and the church in a simple way. And she wanted us to, uh, ordinary souls, she called us the little souls. And she considered herself a little soul. And she wanted to be able to, whatever she taught and how to grow to, in holiness, would be something that we all could adapt to. And what is it? Her little way made her a doctor of the church. And so, you know, that's what we that's what we hope to do here is that in some sort of simple way, we begin to understand um, our little voices in the church are so very important. They're so very important to Jesus. And with that, my friends, until our next, po- next podcast, God bless you all.